Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Unapologist Podcast, where the best PD happens in your backyard. Tonight, we have the real reason for Easter, Christopher Polson. <laughs> I, I didn't know if you were going to go for it. You gave me a couple tonight, but I, like I said, you, sir, you're the Cadbury Easter Cream Egg McFlurry, because you're only around for a little bit of time. We have to cherish you. And hey, you're so sweet. See, I, I do something completely off the wall, controversial, and you come back with such kind heartedness, Christopher. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's what Vito I'm Vito McKenzie for. on this end. <laughs> it just it's been a while since I've caused trouble. I I need to start again. How you doing this week, Chris? I'm doing hey, at time of recording, I'm doing pretty good. Back uh back to the online uh right now for for hey, who knows till when. But things are going good. I'm getting great attendance. I actually recently, uh, a parent reached out to shoot some kudos at me, which was kind of nice. But in general, like, you know, life's good. My son turned five years old. Oh, I can't deal with that. Life is good. How are you doing, Vito? Life, life is also good on this end. We are, at the time of recording, heading into a long weekend for Easter, and that'll be a nice time to reflect and to spend time with family and celebrate. Uh, we are not going to be able to go into any worship services because of our pandemic we're in but the classes are are, are good my students are definitely burnt out and they're done but i had a really nice story uh, one of my students ended up in the hospital that's not the nice part uh, it was uh, something that happened and his mom emailed to let me know and the first thing that happened when we got there is can you let my teacher know that i'm here and what the homework is and i re immediately responded with your homework is to get home and get better like ignore everything else and he said no that teacher is too nice i'm going to come home and do my homework and he did and oh. i was i was i was very very stunned by that and, and i was touched so we i'm having good moments like that but it's it's nice that we're going to have a nice break now but things those, are good those are the moments that get us through those are the those are the little moments the gces i call them golf course epiphanies man <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But you know what, Chris? We've been talking for almost like two minutes now. We've been like, talking. Really? We've been talking too long. <laughs> too long. Who cares about us? We we have we have an all-star on the podcast tonight. We like do. seriously. Do you want to introduce her? I do, I do. Coming straight out of Chicago. She's been teaching for twelve years. She is uh, the, 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 the visionary behind Adventures of a Fourth Grade Classroom. She has her degree from the University of Dayton. She did her MRE from Loyola University in Chicago. Passionate for National Parks. 2017, I did her a teacher on the trail. She's a runner. She likes hanging out with her friends. I know she's on a skee-ball team, too. I did my homework. And she's even uh, she's even got her own program with Teachers Pay Teachers, doing some amazing leadership with the Seton Scholars that we'll talk about tonight. Tonight, we have Annie McGuire on the show. Welcome to the show, Annie. We are so excited to have you on. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, welcome. Honestly, like, I just, I love when Chris or I read out resumes because a it lets the person on know yeah i'm pretty awesome and two it lets us know yeah we suck that's why we bring you on <laughs> you come on with such a, an eclectic variety of interest in your teaching which we're going to dive into but we know that we all had to start somewhere so can you tell us your story into teaching and where you are today because that's quite the thread we got going on here yeah so i am one of those teachers that has always wanted to be a teacher I grew up playing classroom in my parents' basement. 
with a little chalkboard and some old school desks and I would make my sister be my student and so that's where it started and then when I was in high school I was asked to be a Sunday school teacher at my parish and so I taught four-year-old Sunday school with my best friend for a couple years uh which was so, sorry four years four-year-old Sunday school like, yeah. Like, was your job just to let them burn energy or what was, what was that like? <laughs> Go <laughs> run, my children. <laughs> it was a program I had gone through and it, it was for three, four and five year olds and parents would go to church and the kids would come to us. And yeah, so just teaching the the youngest ones about our faith, which was kind of the starting point for everything that I have done since then. And so I did that for a few years and then kind of solidified my love of teaching and went off to the University of Dayton and received my bachelor in middle childhood education and then came back to Chicago looking for jobs and actually ended up in the job I'm in. So I've been there for 12 years and I teach fourth grade at my school. It's a Catholic school right by Wrigley Field. And a fun fact of it is actually that my mom and my grandpa went to school there and my grandparents were also married at the church. So we have a lot of history there. That's quite the legacy. That's nice. That's nice. That That's home, really. Yeah. yeah. So we had always grown up hearing about it, about the parish and the school. And then when I noticed that a job was available there, I pounced on it and ended up accepting it a few weeks later. So I've been there ever since. And I also have... I had a teacher, a professor in college that said to start your master's degree within two years of graduating from undergrad. And I took that to heart. And it, so I started my master's at Loyola University, Chicago, two years after. It took me five years to finish it, did the slow and steady route, but then graduated with my master's of religious education. I love how there's a, there's a passion cultivation there. We see right from the youngest age, you're in the basement, uh, you're, you're teaching your your sister and then it, it, it that passion is fed with opportunity you know the church mm -hmm. gives you the opportunity to do something i think it really speaks to the need that when we notice that something's there we have to really let it grow we have to nurture it yeah and i definitely when i was in high school i was part of our youth group and that really kind of this the service side of everything and the faith like it just it got me excited for life. And I ended up running my youth group for when I graduated for three years or four years. That was not sustainable with trying to go to grad school. So I did pass it off to someone else. But I did run that and working with the teens was a ton of fun. Still in touch with some of them today. The service component is, I think, so crucial to teaching that we it is a it is a vocation of service. Yes, definitely. I can resonate with this story as well, because that's where I learned I love being with young people and teenagers. I did my own missionary work in Canada here, uh, Net Ministries. There's many teams in the U.S. I did it in Canada. And uh, that's that's when I learned I just love being around young people, too. So it, it, I love these connections. Mm -hmm. One thing I was going to look at, your, your professor said you had to do your MRE. Uh, what, what, what was the push for that? Like, did he just see a lot of potential in you or did he find that it would be more economically viable what's what's the deal it wasn't necessarily the mre it was just go get your degree start your master's degree within those two years and then i when i went to dayton i actually started with a minor in religion and it was a little bit too much for me being away from home and going to class and 
and all that. So I had dropped that at the end of my freshman year. And so it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to go back for religious education. And that ended up being at Loyola University. And I had reached out to my high school campus minister when I was thinking about it, of what I, where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And he was the one that kind of directed me to Loyola for that. That's, that's amazing. And what, what was your, sorry for pushing it, what was your focus of study at, at Loyola? Like you, it took, you took the long and steady route, but. What I was... did. So it was just a master's of religious education, which okay. if my understanding is there's only four universities in the United States that offer that right now. I didn't know that at the time that it's super rare, but yeah. So there are only four people that graduated with it my year, and it was the last year Loyola had the program. Oh wow! Right it's buzzer. like wow. under something else now, so you can kind of still get it, but the actual masters of religious education is very rare, apparently. Really, that's interesting. That's really yeah. interesting. Because um, Chris and I thought we were rare buds going to like the what, one of two can, uh, universities in Canada that offered a theology degree yeah. or a pontifical degree. Yeah, yeah so there's cool. a lot of different degrees. Some of their bigger ones are the social justice track and divinity. Uh, let, let's talk national parks, though, because you, you didn't even touch on that. And that's a big <laughs> part of your curriculum. And you put a lot of your resources into it. Uh, take yeah. us through where your passion for it comes from, how you instill into your students. Talk to us about the Every Kid in the Park, please. National yeah. Parks, let us know. So it randomly all started when flights were cheap down to around the Smoky Mountains, and my sister and I were going to go down there. And I had really never been to a national park before this. I was probably 23, 24, but looking for something to do outside of Chicago. And so we ended up not flying. We drove down, ended up staying for 10 days, camped, had the time of our lives, and then realized, like, what a great teaching tool this was. I saw kids getting their junior ranger badges and kids out hiking with their families. And I was like, I can do this. I can put this into my curriculum. And so in fourth grade, I teach the regions of the country for the United States. And so a lot of what we do is about the history of the regions, but also about like the landscapes and resources. And so I'm super easily able to incorporate the national parks into that. Even some of the parks are in our curriculum that uh, we have from our school. So we do a lot of different things. I try to pick one or two parks per region to work with with my students. So this week, for example, we're finishing up our unit on the Midwest region. And so they're working with three of the different national parks, become junior rangers. And through COVID, they get to do it remotely, which is awesome. And so they work through a little packet. They watch videos, do some research, and then we'll send in packets and they'll get a little junior ranger badge back in the mail. That that's is so cool. <laughs> I, was just saying, I was just saying, like, that's so neat. They get something. Getting something is awesome. Yep. So they are having a blast doing that. And it's one of those things that they're learning about different parts of the Midwest, right now the Midwest, but they don't necessarily realize that they're learning. Like they're having fun, they're watching videos, they're chatting about it with their friends. So there's just really something special about it. And then the Park Service offers fourth graders the opportunity to go to the parks for free during their fourth grade year. Teachers can apply to get passes, and then you hand them out to students. So I have a student, we're off next week for break, so he's going down to the Grand Canyon with his family, and so they have the National Park Pass with them. Boom. And we also have a traveling stuffed animal bison that goes with the kids. 
And so Buddy the Bowtie Wearing Bison. Buddy the Bowtie Wearing Bison. I, I love that. I love that. I, I would have had him here, but he is being packed to go to Arizona tomorrow. So he is with one of my students. And he the bison goes with to the national parks, and the kids take pictures with them. And then we put it all into a scrapbook. So I think the bison has visited like maybe around 20 national parks over the years. I've had him for maybe eight years now. And does that get the kids pumped? Like, I need, if we're going to this park, we're mm-hmm. taking Buddy because I want to be oh. in that scrapbook. Yeah. Over the summer, I have to pick out of a hat who gets to take Buddy places. Well, I yeah. think that speaks amazingly to the type of experiences young people are having with their families, too, that they're using those national parks. It's not just, you know, we're going to Disneyland or something like that, that there's a real outdoors experience happening for these kids. That's amazing. And there's got to be kids who go through your program who are like mom dad we, we got to go visit a park now yeah there's a lot at the end of the year which we're gonna we're gearing up for when we're back from break we do a national park research project and so our research paper and so they pick one of the parks and then they we literally spend like eight weeks learning about it and writing a research paper and at the end there's always a family or two that are like well now we know where we're going for our our summer break because they learned about it they want to go and experience it and so it's so fun when they you know take what they're learning in the classroom and apply it with their families and whatnot so well this is just an amalgamation of two guests who've had on relative Sharani and Brett Walker who talked about a real world connections to the curriculum which you do with hey we're looking at look the history of this place let's look at the park and then write for an audience aside from your teacher which is hey mom dad check out this park that's We're making that, a proposal. that is memorable. That is memorable. Yeah. And for us, we don't have a lot of parks right by us in Chicago. It's not the nature capital of the world. And so we have Indiana Dunes National Park, which is a newer national park a couple hours away from us. But other than that, they have to drive and get out of the city, which I love that they get to do. And if I could go with them and I could take a field trip with them to one of the national parks, that would be amazing. But no such luck. And it just seems as though, you know, you've brought so much of your own personal excitement to it that it's, it's, these kids are feeding off of that. So even young people who may not like outdoorsy stuff isn't my thing. No, Miss McGuire is so amped up about this that it's hard to not get excited for. And I love, I love that because it, it's, it's passion incorporated a pedagogy. Passion Incorporated Pedagogies, uh, blowing my mind here. I love it. Did you make up that term right now? Because I think we should trademark it. TM. <laughs> you like that one, eh, Vito? Oh, I love, I love that's, it. That's I a love pretty it. Good, that's a pretty good Polsonism. <laughs> Annie, you can steal that if you'd like. Polsonisms, words that don't exist. <laughs> we don't We don't need any more ego in this uh, in this room right here. <laughs> so, uh, that's... <laughs> So with the students who who get to go, so they become junior rangers, they go through a process and they get to go free to these parks. I'm assuming that, you know, there's, there's means for them to do that. Like they they have enough, you know, parents are obviously in a Catholic school, then a private school. So they probably have the the funding to do that. What about those students who like, I'd love to go miss McGuire, but you know, times are tough right now. Is there any kind of subsidy program for that? Um, Not to my knowledge, is there? Um, We do have in Illinois some really great state parks that I also talk up. 
that are much closer to home within a day's drive and some of where I did my first hiking. And so I definitely encourage, you know, the students to check those out as well. And then the Indiana Dunes National, now National Park, is about an hour away. And that one's free no matter what. So whether or not you have a park pass, that one is free. And so, yeah, I just encourage the kids, even if they're just, you know, taking on uh, taking a walk on Lake Michigan or, you know, visiting our forest preserves, just getting outside, getting in touch with nature any way that they can. So, And, and really, I think that's such a wonderful thing to be promoting, especially in this age of, of, of so much technology and, and screen time and even the opportunity now to get outside uh, more as, as we're, you know, we're still in the pandemic, but those outside, those wide spaces are a great opportunity for young people and families and educators. And it just seems as though um, you have this passion, but the national park system there really seems to support it with the, the materials and stuff too, or is that all homemade by you? So I make a lot of things that I use in my classroom. I like incorporating the national parks into more than just social studies class. And so we do a lot of reading of articles in which I've tailored to the reading needs of my students and the skills that we're working on. So I create a lot of that. However, the national parks, they do have a ton of awesome resources that teachers can use as well. And a lot of great programs that teachers can participate in. So it's kind of a mix. I use a little bit of my own things that I create along with things that the national parks have already created. That's amazing. I, I want my kid to be a junior ranger now, both of them. Yeah. <laughs> that, just, that just sounds cool. It you just sounds be, cool. You can be a junior ranger no matter how old you are. I'm not oh, kidding you. I probably have 10 junior ranger badges myself. All <laughs> right, Chris. You know what we're doing after this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, will, will they be okay with the fact that Vito and I are Canadian? Can we be Canadian? <laughs> Canadian oh. <laughs> adult junior rangers right here. I mean, it sounds good to me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, now in uh, jumping again now, 2017, I did a right teacher on the trail. Okay. First, can you tell our listeners what that is and how you came to it? Because A, it's a huge deal. And B, it's such a unique and incredible experience. Yeah. So the Iditarod... First of all, the Iditarod is a thousand mile sled dog race across Alaska. And every year they select one teacher to go out on the trail and report back to classrooms that use it as a teaching tool. So I've been now using Iditarod in my classroom for I think 11 of the 12 years I've been teaching. When you're a teacher on the trail, you keep a blog. And so you blog for the months before you're there. And then when I was up there for five weeks in February and March, and so I blogged every day and gave teachers lessons and stories from the trail of things that were actually going on during the race. And I actually don't, the teacher on the trail does not go on their own dog team, which is good because I'm from Chicago and I've only <laughs> But we fly down on bush planes down the trail to the different checkpoints. That's so cool. So tell me about Alaska then during that time. It was amazing. <laughs> so I, yeah, was up there for five weeks. And when I first went up, we did about a week and a half of presentations where I went into different schools and met with teachers and students and talked to them about where I was from, talked about the upcoming race and mushers to watch. And then there was a teacher conference. And so I presented at 
a conference for teachers that use the race in their classrooms. And then I set off on, I was out on the trail for a little over two weeks. It was cold. Um, I don't know how relative cold to you it was, but it was the cold. <laughs> the coldest night it was, it, is, it got down to negative 50 Fahrenheit. I don't know what that is in Celsius, but it was cold. <laughs> Chris is doing the calculation right doing now. Doing the calculations well, right here. Well, and, and that's that's the wild part. So you're coming in from Chicago to Alaska, and in your writing on it, you, you do mention like the severe weather, sleep deprivation, animal encounters, all things you're probably going to head up in the bush. But all while skyping into these classrooms, visiting them, developing resources, and participating in the race. So, so it obviously took a lot out of you. Give us a glimpse into how intense, like, like yeah. I, I mentioned a few things, but give us a glimpse into and, that and, intensity. And did you have to train before even getting there? So I, the year, like the time leading up to it, it was just a lot of posting of lessons. And so giving teachers activities that they can do with their class year round. And then hosting, we hosted a conference in Chicago for teachers. So that was a lot of work. And um, working with different mushers on lessons. And then when I was up there, I think, honestly, there was a lot of anticipation about getting up there. And then once I was there, I was like, okay, like, this is what I'm here to do, and I'm going to enjoy it. And so I was up there for those first, like, 10 days or so, and that was cold and busy and intense and then sorry i know in the arctic circle uh northern canada here during those months you barely see the sun what what was that was that in alaska too yeah same thing so it was some really long long days of dark not total darkness obviously but much different than when i was used to like i woke up and the sun was not up yet and it was down before you went to dinner um, but it was cool as I was there during daylight savings. And so as the race being there for five weeks, as you guys kind of know in Canada, you gain so much more light each day. Oh yeah. And so I was there like the end part of March and I was like, oh my gosh, daylight savings happened. And like, there's just, the days are longer. And so that was kind of a fun transition during the race of coming up like mid February when it was freezing and cold and dark and then kind of moving into spring at the end of it. So, I mean, it was hard when I was when I, in March towards the end of the race when it was like 70 degrees in Chicago. And I'm like, it's a heat wave. It's 20 above where I was. So, um, yeah, they were it was that was a hard part. But the cold was definitely a transition for me. We don't really get quite that cold and if we do get that cold in Chicago we don't have school and you stay inside so those negative temperatures they were a shock to my system but I had a lot of hand warmers and feet warmers and boots and parkas and all that so and so I'm wondering too um so how do you uh kind of develop a lesson plan to give to other people while you're on the trail? Like, is it kind of at your discretion of like, oh, I thought this was cool today. Let's talk about it. Or I'm going to interview this person I met today at this stop. And, and, and is it that, or, or what's the process really of, of creating those lesson plans? So a lot of the big full lesson plans all happened before I was up there. And then what I did when I was up there, I did a letter of the day 
and made a little alphabet. And so each day I would post a letter. And so A is for Anchorage. Anchorage is where the race starts. And then I went through and I kind of just took what was happening that day or made big mushers that were in the race that year and put it into that. And then I would also like use that share stories of mushers or awesome dogs and just gave teachers little tidbits to talk about with their students. And what's the reach uh, that you had? Is this, is, is, does any teacher um, in the country basically have access to it or is it, what's going on with that? Yeah. So I did around education is totally free and teachers can access the lessons and website or lessons on the website for free throughout the year. And so it's just, Iditarod.com slash edu. And there's been now 22 years of teachers on the trail. Wow. And so one teacher cool. every year. And so just imagine now all of those lessons that are on this website. So there are things we've had high school teachers, we've had like first and second grade teachers. I would say a bulk of them are upper elementary. It's a sweet spot for using the race with kids. But teachers across the world use it. I've been at conferences with teachers from various countries, and I know definitely all 50 states use the race. So it's an amazing teaching tool for sure. That's so cool. And what an experience for you, too. You must have just absolutely come back with these new perspectives on ways of living and and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it definitely was a life-changing experience, just learning about the Alaskan culture and being in the villages. One of my favorite things that I didn't know at the time was that a lot of the villages on the route that I was on are actually Catholic, which is not really, I don't really know what I expected. Yeah, I wouldn't even have thought that that was not even something that would have crossed my mind. So that's a really cool connection. Yeah, so I got to attend mass in um, two of the villages, which was a really neat experience and I forever will remember that. And so that those were really special moments for me. And just the people that I met that I'm still friends with today through the whole program, I did our education along with friends that I've made in Alaska. It's just been a really special thing for me. And do all teachers who do this, who are the I Did Around Teacher of the Year, do you ever get together to conference, to meet up afterwards, to commiserate your experiences? <laughs> yeah. So one of them I'm really good friends with and we text almost daily. And she, no one else lives in Chicago that's been teacher on the trail. So, But we still connect. I, we host conferences together, both in person when we could. And we've done a few online ones through Iditarod. And then most years we're all invited up for the conference up in Alaska the week before the race. And we present and help facilitate the conference. Okay. Okay. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. Now you, you also mentioned the, I'm just curious, this is just a side tangent, animal encounters. Yeah. So <laughs> Your face lit up. What do you got? <laughs> I, okay, I, when I was on the trail, I don't think, I don't think I encountered any animals while I was on the trail, but in Alaska, there was a night where we, it wasn't on the trail, but we saw bear, moose, and skunks, I think. Yeah. And I connected it to reading Hatchet with my students. Oh, Gary Oh, nice. Yeah. Very nice. So um, we talked about how all three of those things, how Brian experiences those three, three things and how I experienced those three things. So I don't think, I will say, 
that yeah the Gary Paulson connection I loved and then we did eat a lot of moose stew on the trail I had never had it before but I think I had it at almost every checkpoint which was fine it was great so but yeah no super intense animal encounters my year but while I was out on the trail but seeing wildlife that I would never see where I'm from for sure no uh no bear and moose walking downtown Chicago no (laughs) Gratefully, Matt stunks. Stunks, though, guys. <laughs> Can never get rid of those. No, no. no. So we we kind of dove right away into like specifics because we're just so excited to hear about those experiences because that's just so cool. Uh, but let's let's back up a bit. Uh, what's your general approach to your classroom today? Like we got a glimpse of it, and I know teaching grade four is is a very special grade. My aunt's uh, taught the three, four, or five range there. Uh, so what's what's your approach? Take us through your methodology and your um, pedag- you know pedagogy ways you keep students engaged. So I love keeping students engaged through movement, and so a lot of what we do in my class is even with COVID, we get out of our seats and we move. And so whether it, or I'll just give an example. So yesterday we were doing comparing greater than, less than, and equal to. So instead of just having them write it down or tell me what it is. If it was greater than, then we like danced to the sky. If it was less than, then they like pointed down and did a little dance. And then if it was equal to, we did a little middle dance um, with our hands creating an equal sign. And so I love getting students up and moving any way that I can. So when we do math reviews, we pretend that we are going to different countries or different cities and doing different things that are related to that city. So We'll do like five or 10 math problems and we'll pretend we're in Boston and then we'll pretend to run the Boston Marathon. Or then we'll go over to Washington State and we'll do some math problems and then we'll pretend to kayak the San Juan Islands. And so we just try to get the students moving any way that we can. It makes them forget about the fact that they're actually learning and just they're just doing the math and they're like, Oh, or grammar. We do a lot of dancing in grammar class. So. And I love that too, because there's uh, there's so much to be said about embodied learning, you know, when you're not just learning facts and remembering lists, it's not, I'm not remembering this math problem simply because I know it, but if I stand up and I run the Boston marathon, I have the answer there for me because it's embodied in what I've done. So there's, a, there's a lot of brilliance going on with that kind of a, approach, not to mention it's fun. And isn't that what school's about? Like, shouldn't we be enjoying ourselves while we're learning? I love it. And yeah. you mentioned that you mentioned that twice, the students forget that they're learning and they absorb information and just have fun with it. That yeah. seems to be a key from your methodology. It, it is definitely key in what I'm doing and students will come back and they'll be like, oh my gosh, did you do this dance with the kids or did you do that? And I'm like, yep, like we're still doing it all these years. <laughs> um, and so that's definitely a big part of it. Another part of what I do is I never, and I don't think any teacher wants this, but I never want my students to feel like they're failing. And my goal is always to, whenever they're struggling with their concept, to bring them over to my desk or I go to them and we work through it. And my students are always able, except for text and quizzes, which that's a different thought process, able to earn 100% on classwork, homework, on anything that they do, because my goal is that they're just, they're learning it. I'm not as concerned about the point value of something. 
and we are really big, not just in my classroom, but at my school about reteaching. And so whenever we get that opportunity, we see a student struggled on a skill, we reteach it. And so even if like I give this big long math test on multiplication and I realize that, well, the estimation part is where I saw them struggle, they'll retest on just that estimation part. Like, I'm not going to retest you on everything, but I'm going to reteach and you're going to meet with me and we're going to work through it. And and then you'll retest just on that section. And we keep doing it until I see that you've understood it. So that's another really big part of my teaching philosophy. Now, something you can help me understand as well, then, is what's what's the emphasis on standardized tests where you're at? Because I hear that's just a huge contentious issue in, in many American schools. So I say would say that we're super fortunate at my school that there's not a whole lot of pressure on it. At the Catholic schools, we would normally take the ACT Aspire. We did not take it last year, and we are not taking it this year. And to my understanding, it's not going to be in existence next year, so I don't know what we're taking going forward. But at our public schools, there's a huge emphasis on it. But fortunately, at my school and the diocese that I'm in, it is not a huge I mean, it's, we look at it and we take the data and learn from it, but it's only one small piece of what we do. Oh, that's really, I'm really happy to hear that because I, I've heard horror stories of, and, and from what I'm hearing from you, it's like, no, I, I teach for mastery. My students are having fun. They, if they miss it, they get to relearn. So I'm, it's, it's nice to hear that you're, you're going for learning and not regurgitating. Yep. And your school supports that. That's, that's amazing. We also noticed you ditched your teacher bag. And dedicate yourself to not bringing work home with you. Now, how's that going? And like, can you enlighten us, please? Because I think we'd all like to hear some more of that. <laughs> you can have yeah. my teacher bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I uh, last year was obviously really rough, and there was no division between my work time and my home time. And I should also preface that I am also married to a teacher, and so school is what we do. And so going into this school year, I knew it was going to be rough in the fact that we were there all day with our masks on with the kids. And so I kind of said, I'm not going to bring work home with me this year. I'm going to separate my home life and my school life. And I have never been so grateful for a decision. When I'm at school, I'm on and I'm doing my thing. And then when I come home, I enjoy it so much more. And I've done a few things to kind of combat that and to figure out how to not bring my work home. And our breaks are very limited this year because of COVID. And so I've been very intentional about using my time to grade or plan or make copies or whatever needs to be done, meeting with different teachers. I travel to work quite a bit, so quite a ways. So I leave a little bit earlier so that I avoid traffic, which then means I'm at school a little bit earlier. It's nice and quiet. No one's there yet, so I can get a little more work done before school. And realizing that also not everything needs to be graded was a huge thing for me. Kind of learned it last year going through COVID that like, I don't need to look at every single thing you you do and realizing what's important to look at and see how kids are doing and whatnot. And I've kind of made the same decision for my students. And um, we have very little homework this year. And I know there's a lot of school districts and schools that are moving away from homework in general. And I, I know how tired I am at the end of the day. And I can only imagine for a nine and 10 year old how tired they are. So 
very little homework is given this year from um, the fourth grade team. And I'm, I, I see the difference in the kids. Like they're just, they come to school excited and when they leave, they're home. And I love that they have that too. I, I love that as well. And that's, that's always been my philosophy with my students. I tell them like on Friday, you go home and you enjoy your weekend. Like there mm -hmm. should be no work you're bringing home. Oh yeah. And, and that's that. it. Just go home. So, yeah. and you do see a, you do see a, huge a massive, massive benefits shift. for mental health, <laughs> massive benefits for mental for health sure. as the teacher, for the student, um, for everyone involved. I, I really like that. So, and, you know, you're, you're talking about not going, you know, not grading every piece of uh, work. Have you ever looked at that whole going gradeless idea? Um, I just, just curious. I'm going to poke that out there. I'm just going to throw it out there because I'm a so troublemaker. So Vito's it's curious about that, is he? <laughs> it's 90% of what I do anyway. Yeah, sure, here's a pretend grade, but it's really feedback. <laughs> yeah, I have not thought about it. I guess my school hasn't really thought about it or the diocese. So we don't, I know in our K-1-2, they do not have um, grades, um, but our grades start in third grade. Okay. Um, yeah. All right, well, let's, uh, oh. let's keep the train rolling. Let's keep the I'm, train rolling. Yeah. Like, right, like, I, like, I feel like we're just... Holland, so many awesome train cars going going on an amazing track here. So uh, let's let's shift a bit to your adventures of a fourth grade classroom. So it's your hub for like like incredible resources which you developed on top of being a teacher and I suppose and like everything else going on in your life. And uh, you also have a Seton Scholars membership program for Catholic resources, which is uh, really cool. Where, where where did these start, and what what's your process for developing the materials? So the whole adventures of a fourth grade classroom started when I realized that there were things that maybe we're on Teachers by Teachers that I was like, I think I can make that or I couldn't find it. And I said, well, I'm going to create this. And it started really small, nothing much going on. I would post things occasionally. And then the year that I was teacher on the trail, I ended up taking, stepping back for the whole year from TPT and my resources stayed up there, but didn't create anything because I was busy making lesson plans for Iditarod. And then came back after that year and just kind of dove into it. And one of the things that I realized that was lacking from both the curriculum that my school used and from resources from Teachers Pay Teachers was religious resources. And so looking for saint stuff and saint resources and crafts and credible biographies that were at a level for nine-year-olds to read were things that I realized weren't there. And so that's where the whole religious religion resources came from. And so they were things I was using in my classroom and thought, hey, if I'm using it in my classroom, there's probably some teachers out there that could use it as well. And so that's where the whole Adventures of a Fourth Grade Classroom came from. The name comes from, of course, all my many adventures in life and hopefully taking my students on the adventures as well. And so the Seton Scholarship uh, program that you have, what uh, it's a membership program, and what uh, what do you get with that? Yeah, so Seton Scholars, it, actually, I love how it began. So if you don't mind, I'd love to share that story. Yeah, please. Oh. You're, you're if it not stops us from to... talking, go. There is no <laughs> objections to hearing your stories here. So I had created a blog post about keeping grading organized. And so I posted a picture of it on Instagram and someone saw that I had a religion folder in there. And so on my Instagram, there ended up being like this whole thread of like 20 or 30 messages from Catholic school teachers being like, 
we need a community for just Catholic school teachers. Like, I'd love to share ideas and this and that. And I was like, huh. So that night, I was like, I think I'm going to create a Facebook group. And so I created a Facebook group called the Community of Catholic Educators, or Catholic School Teachers, I think it is now. And so there's only about 200 of us in it, and it's lovely. And we share ideas and things that we're doing in our classroom. And then from that, I realized that there a lot of these teachers were um, purchasing resources from me. Um, but I also know that Catholic school teachers don't get paid as much in the, in the United States as our public school teachers. And so how can I create a membership that's affordable for these teachers? And so I did. I have a small group that started out with me in October of last year. And we are a small group, but I love we have our own Facebook group. We meet on Facebook Live. We chat. They can request resources that they would get before it goes onto TPT. And so, like, I'm working on some First Communion activities now, and they get them as I finish them before they even go on TPT. So they pay a monthly fee. They get all of my resources, which I think Catholic resources, which I think is like $250 worth of things right now. And I'm slowly building that up, but they just can log on to our website and download what they need. So, yeah. Oh, wow. I, uh, so I there's mean, two things. I'm, sorry, go ahead, Chris. There's two things uh, I want to draw from this, but go uh, ahead. I mean, I just see the, the thread throughout everything that you have spoke about this evening to me. It boils down to service. Um, you know, service to your students, service to your fellow teachers, service to your faith. And... And what a wonderful vehicle to be driving an educator, especially a Catholic educator. Um, Vito and I are both involved in Catholic education, as you know, and it's just so, uh, you know, as a, as, a, as a chaplain, it just makes me so excited and so happy to hear that this service component is just the engine that drives the train or the, the, the musher that drives the dog sled. <laughs> there you go. I love it. <laughs> there. The two things I want to draw, just piggybacking uh, uh, on that. Uh, a, like where, like, where do you get the energy and the organization to do this? Like that takes a lot of, that must take a lot out of you. You do it with excitement and I can hear it in your voice. Um, so I'd love to hear just how you keep that all organized. I, sometimes don't know um <laughs> I, I love the honesty it's true <laughs> just somewhere it's uh i i jot down ideas as they come to me and i accept um suggestions from teachers particularly in the seton scholars and i enjoy creating so i'll sit outside during the summer months and that's what i do and i'll sit and research and create and during the winter, it's a good distraction from the cold and the dark and all of that. And I have a lovely community of teachers that I meet with every Friday that also create resources. And so while the business side of things can sometimes be challenging for someone who's not trained in that, um, I'm definitely learning. And that's what excites me. And then when I get messages like yesterday, I had a teacher post that she and her students use one of my amazing math race resources and how fun it was and how her students just enjoyed going from place to place in it. And like that keeps me motivated to do more and to get into more classrooms and help more students. 
Oh, see, and, and this this just picks out thread number two, which, you know, Chris and I are in provinces that still have a publicly funded Catholic education system. And for those listening right now, if you're in that system, like you got to listen to Annie here. She had to create her own community of people looking for resources. And we have this in our system that we, we need to be aware of that. Like we have something great here. Um, and wow. And, and not only that, they're, she's creating wonderful things down there that that's what we I have wa- to pay attention to. Yeah, that's what I wanted to jump on, too. Like, I got a chance to check some of this stuff out. This isn't just, like, some teacher going on, you know, Microsoft Word and making it. These are professional, high-quality resources. Like, these are this, these are the stuff you'd, you'd buy from the big companies. Like, like this is not this is not, like, Chris Polson going to the photocopier. This is, this is real. This is the real deal. Yeah, like I, I, absolutely, absolutely, because you know Chris and I are religion teachers, and to hear and to see some of what you're putting into this is outstanding. So thank you, thank you for what you're doing. Well, I I love it. I um, my husband is also a Catholic school teacher and has has his master's degree in Catholic school leadership, and so um, it's just kind of what we do, and I think a big part of what brought us together was that. And so, um, you know, we're both teachers and we're here to serve and um, to help, like, I like to say, make good little humans and to um, to help kids grow in their faith. And I don't think I've shared this yet, but one of the things that came out of my, I did do an internship when I was at Loyola and I did it at my school. And one of it, the things that I had to do for it, or like I created it, like it was me that did this thing, but was that our pastor wanted to have split mass. And so he wanted to cater his homilies once a month um, to our sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. So to go just a little more in depth with the readings or whatever was going on in the world. And then they wanted the K-5 students to have a prayer service. And so I started running those prayer services and um, kind of develop them and it is besides the actual joy of teaching the fourth graders it is the best thing that I get to do at my school and so I lead the students in prayer and I get to create kind of what we're doing so um, like if it's around Earth Day we'll do an, like a creation theme and if it's at the beginning of the year we'll theme it to like this year we um, read a picture book I'm really big into connecting picture books to the Gospels. And so um, it's a really great way to get the five-year-olds excited um, for their faith. And so uh, we picked each picked a word, and the students had to um, think about what word would be their word of the year. And now you can go throughout our school, and they have each student has their word taped to their desk. And so seeing that the impact that something not super significant on my end, but like that it's making a difference for them. And if you walk into our um, main um, office area of our school, it's full of doves. And at the beginning of Lent, um, we talked about being peacemakers. And so everyone wrote away that they could be a peacemaker. So there's 500 doves in our hallway with different things that the kids were doing throughout Lent to promote peace. So I get to dance and sing to, um, I call them God songs, 
and to get the kids excited about their faith. And so it's just a true joy that I get to have. Um, not as much during COVID, but um, usually once a month. So That's awesome. I Hey, as a school chaplain, I know the joy of, of, of building the liturgies and that sort of stuff. So absolutely. And I know Vito does too. Yeah, former former school chaplain. They, they they keep me out of prominent roles for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> hey Vito, Christopher. Yeah, you see, uh, you see what time it is. Let me just check my let's watch. Check the watch One here. Second. Let's check. Let's check the watch here. It is it's Pulse and Sports time. time. Oh, yeah. We'll get it one day. We'll get it one day. Well, no, oh. never. <laughs> We've been talking tonight with Annie McGuire, and wow. Let me tell you, uh, the Pulse and Points from tonight, friends, that passion, marry it with your pedagogy. you got to marry the passion with the pedagogy. There's so much value in exploring things that you normally wouldn't. Think about those kids and what's the best for them. And a great way to learn about new things, experience them. You're not going to learn about the Iditarod by not being the teacher on the trail. I love it. Hey, what else do we have tonight? Take the time to get moving. Get moving in those classrooms. Whether it's them grade 1s or whether it's those grade 12s, get them up, get them moving. You got those 90-minute classes? Come on. Hey, when you're there at the building, friends, be on. But when you're not at the building, be on for you. So important. And, uh, hey, one of the things, uh, the last Polson point for tonight from Annie McGuire, if you can't find it, create it. Oh, but wait, Vito, you know, I, you know, I got to bring those big vibes. Oh, the big vibe time. Big, big vibes tonight big from vibe. Annie McGuire. Oh my goodness. There were three big vibes tonight and I don't even know. I can't even put them in a hierarchy. Allow your joy to help those students forget about the grind. Let your joy help them forget about the grind. And uh, hey, the goal is the learning, not the little number. And then hey, I think the biggest vibe tonight from Annie McGuire, we at the core were a vocation of service. And let's, let's serve our colleagues, let's serve our students. Um, we are a vocation of service. Annie McGuire, thank you so, so much for sharing thank with you. us tonight. I am just, the, the joy that's radiating out of my computer screen while we, while we have this interview is, has just been amazing. And um, just to the listeners at home, I knew when we were, were asking something she was excited about because her face just lit up and you could see this joy. So thank you so much. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. It was an honor. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. And if you can want to, please check out Annie's blog, her materials, her website, Adventures of a Fourth Grade Classroom, fourth, number 4th, greatclassroom.com. And you can see all the amazing resources up there that we've been talking about tonight. It was so great to talk to you, Annie. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for another episode of the Unapologist Podcast. Join us next week when we'll talk with great people, learn new ideas, and tell the story of teaching as it happens. This is Vito and Chris signing off. The Unapologist Podcast.